You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. My name's Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. This summer at City Church, we've been working our way through a sermon series that's called On the Road with Jesus. We're using the idea of a summer road trip as an entry point into the middle part of Luke's gospel. And this is a place in Luke's gospel where Jesus is on a trip. He's turned his face to the city of Jerusalem and he's headed there and he's taking his disciples with him. And and so we've been talking a lot and, and kind of using the idea of a summer road trip to frame this series. And it's got me thinking a lot about various road trips that I've been on. And as I've preached, uh, I've realized that most of what I've been telling you, most of the stories that I'm telling you are just a testimony to how old I am. Because they're a testimony to how road trips have changed from when I was a kid and we didn't have GPS and ways and had to use like paper maps. And, and today, it's a similar story that I'm, I'm going to share uh, to start things off. You see, when I was a kid, we didn't have uh, phones or iPads that we could stick in front of people and occupy them for hours and hours of time. We didn't, have, we didn't even have like the portable DVD players where you, you stick those in, they're strapped to the back of the headrest and you could entertain your kids. Uh, we had books, but I couldn't read uh, while the car was going or I'd get car sick. And so I spent a lot of road trips in my family's 1985 Dodge Ram conversion van sitting on a cooler in between the front two captain seats. Please don't judge my parents about the fact that I was not wearing a seatbelt for most of these trips. But I would sit on that cooler so I could see out the front window and that helped so that I didn't get car sick. But it also meant that I paid attention to uh, the road signs. And I would talk to my parents and, and I would look at all the billboards that would go by. That's how I entertained myself on our long road trips. And, and there was one particular road trip. We lived in um, New England as I was growing up, and we were taking a trip south on 95. And many of you will know from uh, riding on Interstate 95 as you head south, and I'm sure it's true as you head north from the other direction, the south of the border signs. South of the border signs. And they start, if you're coming from the north, they started as far north as Philadelphia. And the first sign was there, and it said something like, 560 miles, right? And so that gave me something to to pay attention to, the countdown mile after mile as we're getting closer. And south of the border, if you're not familiar with these signs because they don't exist in the same way anymore, number one, they're like borderline racially insensitive, maybe not borderline, maybe completely. They kind of feature this character named Pedro, right? I don't think we could do this anymore, but they, so Pedro had all these signs that were kind of like bad puns and 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 I loved them as an eight-year-old as I was going through these miles on the way south it was um one of them was Pedro's fireworks does yours right (laughs) thank you for the courtesy laugh uh these are my jokes these are south of the border jokes another one was um uh south of the border you never saw such a place you're always a wiener 
at Pedro's. And then there was south of the border, Pedro's weather report. Chilly today, hot tamale. This is what entertained me mile after mile. I didn't have an iPhone. Kids today, you're spoiled with your iPads and your, your streaming Netflix, right? I had billboards, signs by the side of the road. But, you know, as I looked at these signs, and I was entertained by south of the border signs, my dad would tell me about other signs that entertained him when he was a kid on these car trips. You see, in 1925, outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota, some of the first billboards like this were put together. And this is a reference for the older folks in uh, the sanctuary today. These signs were put up to sell shaving products by a company called Burma Shave. And the way that these Burma Shave signs worked is, um, rather than the south of the border billboard where the whole message was on one sign, it would be a, a series of six signs. The first sign would have the first word or the first line, and then, you know, you go another hundred yards and there'd be another sign, and they would, uh, again, kind of have these, these uh, quaint sayings on them. So I want to read a couple of them. Here's one uh, Burma Shave sign. It said, around... That was the first sign, the curve, lickety split. It's a beautiful car, wasn't it? And then the last sign was always Burma shave. Here's another one. If harmony is what you crave, then get a tuba, Burma shave. And then a last one, With, within this veil, of toil and sin. You see, this one felt like a little more churchy. I wanted to share this one. Within this veil of toil and sin, your head grows bald, but not your chin. <laughs> Burma shave. And see, the power of the Burma shave sign was that everyone was curious for the punchline, right? They saw the first sign, and they wanted to keep paying attention. What's going to be the payoff? What's the punchline of these signs? Well, why do I share these extended examples of south of the border and Burma Shave? Well, it's because on the road of life, there are also many signs. And the question for us is, have we read the signs? Have we read the signs of the time spiritually in which we live? And will we respond to those signs as we see them and as we understand them? That's the question, that's the point that Jesus is going to make in this passage from Luke 12 that we're going to read together. And the question that I want you to think about is, can you read the signs of the time? And will you respond to those signs when you do read them? So let's read a few verses in Luke 12. These verses are printed in the worship guide for you. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open the Bible, because a couple times I'm going to refer to things outside of the, the verses in our text. But I'm going to read verses 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 49 through 59 for us. Here's what it says. Jesus, again, is speaking to his disciples, and he says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a, a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division, for from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. 
he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we acknowledge today that just as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the earth, so it is with your word that it comes down from heaven from your mouth to our hearts. And we ask today that it would water our hearts and our lives and produce fruit that honors you. We ask these things through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So today what I want to talk about, I want to talk about reading the signs, and then I want to talk about responding to the signs. That's it. And so let's first talk about reading the signs. And to do this, I actually want to jump, there are three paragraphs in this section that I read. I want to jump to the middle paragraph and start there. We're going to do the middle paragraph and then go back to the first and then end with the last paragraph in our understanding. Because this first paragraph is introducing the fact that we need to read the signs of the times. Read the signs of the time. And, and Jesus introduces this by talking about reading the weather, or reading the signs of the weather. Now you all know this guy, right? It's read the weather guy. He's somewhere in your life. He's the one who's always telling you about dew point and barometric pressure and what the wind direction is and what that means for the upcoming forecast. And read the weather guy is easy to make fun of, trust me. But he's also really helpful. You want this guy, you need this guy. Or this girl. It's the amateur meteorologist who can pay attention to the shifts in the, the direction of the wind. When I was growing up, my dad would always say that if, if the wind is blowing and you could see the underside of the leaves, that means a storm's coming. I don't think that's scientifically true, but it stuck with me. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's using these examples. He says, as the cloud forms, you know that rain's coming. Or if the wind starts blowing from the south, then this scorching heat wave is going to come, bringing the desert winds into Palestine. This is a pretty basic concept. It's still one that is with us today. It's, it's a lot of what our news reporting and our weather is about, right? We, we've had some examples of it this summer. We are a people who are paying attention to these global patterns of weather and what that tells us about the time, right? Earlier this summer, we had, even here as far south as Richmond, we had haziness and smog in the air because of the wind patterns bringing smoke from Canadian wildfires. Maybe you saw the pictures of New York City in days where that, that, uh, that it looked post-apocalyptic, the worst air quality ever recorded in New York City, and my son Reed happened to be in Manhattan that day. But everyone talked about it and says, what, what is this saying about our climate? What is this saying about our world that um, the, the weather has turned the way it has? Or even last week with this intense rainstorm in upstate New York and in Vermont and flooding. And the, the, the thing that the reports kept saying about these devastating floods in Vermont is that, oh, it reveals that we aren't prepared 
We aren't prepared. It's a sign that we're not prepared for what's coming. And a hundred year flood plans are washed away just like the banks of the river. See, Jesus is using that image that's familiar to us. And he's saying that this is, you can read the weather, but you can't read the spiritual times. You can't read that we are in the last days. You can't read the fact that God is doing something in this time. You ought to recognize it, but you're missing all of the signs. Where does that hit home from you? Are you kind of amateur meteorologist? Are you weather guy who's great at reading the forecast, but you're oblivious to the spiritual signs all around you? Are you paying attention to what God is doing? And Luke 12, this whole chapter, and I realize we've, we've kind of looked at it over a, a succession of weeks, but the whole chapter is about the imminence of the last days. That the, they are upon us. The end is coming. And when you hear this phrase, last days, I realize that's a churchy phrase, right? And, and maybe your mind goes to like uh, the Left Behind series or these, you know, these weird like Christian interpretations. The last days is not about that. In fact, I think the last days, sometimes we get confused by that because we think chronologically. I think it's actually better to think logically about the last days. It's not so much about uh, the exact time. It's more about the intensity or the feeling of these days. Here's the best example I could come up with. I think that the last days are kind of like sudden death in a soccer match. Right? You don't know exactly when the, the, the whistle's going to blow. But there's an intensity because the end could come at any time. I guess it's golden goal, right? Like when that goal gets scored, the the match is over. And so everyone is playing and is amped up and is paying attention. That's what Jesus means. That's what the Bible means when it talks about the last days. We are in those days. The intensity is as high as as it ever could be. And so later on in in the Bible, in 2 Timothy 3, Paul talks a little bit about these last days. And he says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, etc., etc. He goes on and he says, Evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, he's describing the last days qualitatively. And I think if we are honest and look around our own world, what Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3, we are in the last days. Can you read the signs? Are you paying attention? Here's the other thing about reading these signs. And it's Jesus' point in that first paragraph. So now if we go back to the very top of this passage that I read for us. Jesus tells us, read the signs, and when you read these signs, you'll see that you're reading signs of judgment. Verses 49 and 50 make this clear. The signs that you're supposed to be reading are pointing to judgment. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. Fire, biblically, is a classic symbol of judgment. Jesus is announcing the last days, and he's saying these days are going to bring judgment. The next verse, verse 50, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Baptism, 
We think of sweet little children who get water placed on their heads, but baptism, biblically, was a sign of judgment. It was a picture of uh, water was a sign of chaos, especially to the, the Israelites, of destruction, of judgment. Think of those floods in Vermont. You see, so fire and flooding, fire and water are these two images that Jesus is using as signs of judgment that is coming for the people of God. So here you are on a nice Sunday afternoon in July and you came to church and you said, boy, I could really use some comfort. I could use some encouragement. I could use maybe some inspiration, maybe a little bit of hope. And Eric's up there talking about signs of judgment. I I really wish that I was going to hear something else. But here's the thing. I could talk about comfort all day long, but if it weren't rooted in the truth of God's word, It would be empty, it would be false, and it would be fleeting. And there is comfort in this text, but it's a comfort that comes through judgment. So don't be turned off, don't stop listening simply because I've introduced this idea of judgment because Jesus introduces the idea of judgment. You know, we live in a, in a day and an age where some people would say, haven't we moved beyond judgment? Hasn't the church, hasn't Christianity realized that that's some Old Testament God stuff? Give me the good stuff. Give me the love. Friends, the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is filled with a message of judgment. It's inescapable. You cannot read the Bible without confronting judgment. The passage that uh, Carl read for us from Malachi chapter 3 is a passage about judgment. And it uses the image of fire. Did you hear that? This fire that's coming to purify everything that's unholy and uh, uh, against God in this world. It's coming. And here in the New Testament, in Jesus' own words, and this isn't the only place, again and again when Jesus is teaching, when he's talking to his disciples, when he's talking to the crowds, he says, judgment is coming. You have to be ready. It's part of the character of a holy God. So first of all, judgment is inescapable because it's everywhere in the Bible. Second of all, what I want you to understand about judgment is that if there's no judgment, if there's no judgment, there's no gospel. Without judgment, there is no good news for you or for me. What do I mean by that? What do you think of as the center of the gospel? It's the cross, isn't it? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And the cross of Jesus Christ is a symbol. Before it's a symbol of anything else, it is a symbol of judgment. God's judgment against sin. You know, sometimes we leap immediately to, oh, the cross, it's a sign of love. It is a sign of love, but it's a sign of judgment first. Don't miss that. Jesus points to that. He's he's hinting at that in these verses, 49 and 50. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth. He's talking about why he came. Why did Jesus come? He came to go to the cross. I came for fire. In the next verse, he says, how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now, those of you who are very familiar with the Bible may uh, know that there's a connection with that word accomplished because Jesus uses it again. 
And he uses it as he hangs on the cross. And he says these words, it is finished. It is accomplished. The cross is in Jesus' mind as he's predicting the judgment of the last days. Can you read the signs of the time? Can you read the signs of judgment that Jesus is bringing? You know, we, we keep reading on in this passage. We get to verse 51 and we says, Jesus says, do you think I have come to give peace on earth? And we're like, yeah, that's the whole thing, right, Jesus? That's what they taught me in Sunday school, that you're the Prince of Peace. You're, like, we sang about it in the song earlier, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Where, where's that part, Jesus? Jesus still believes that. He is the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah tells us. But in order to be the Prince of Peace, he must first be the Prince of Judgment. He must be the judgment bearer. Judgment on him so that peace comes to you and to me. Friends, we cannot sidestep judgment. It's reality and the signs that point to it. There are many attempts to do this right now. And what I want you to know is that every attempt to sidestep God's judgment, Jesus' judgment, it's a sleight of hand. It's a trick and it will not work. All those other attempts to say, oh, haven't we moved beyond judgment? Why is the church so judgmental? Why are they talking about sin? Why are they talking about God's holiness? Every attempt at the end of the day is a sleight of hand that places something else as judge other than God. And usually, it's yourself. God can't be judge. I will be judge. I will determine what's right or wrong. I will determine who's in or out. Or, the, the, the other thing that is common nowadays is to make it abstract, right? We, we make the true judge kind of abstract history. Well, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. We hear that argument a lot. It's a sleight of hand. And it's meant to get ourselves out of this uncomfortable position that the one true and holy God who made this universe and everything in it and made you and me comes as a judge against our sin and against everything in this world that is bent away. Jesus will have none of this sleight of hand. And instead of a sleight of hand, what we have in Jesus is him extending his hands on the cross. We have something so much better than a sleight of hand. We have substitution. That's the heart of the gospel. That the judgment due for you and me, due for all humanity, is placed on Christ instead. But there is judgment first. Before there is grace, before there is freedom, before there is mercy and love, there is judgment placed on Jesus. There's an old hymn that captures this idea really well. It's called, O Love Incomprehensible. It says, O Love Incomprehensible, that made thee bleed for me. And here's the key line. The judge of all has suffered death to set his prisoner free. You see how it works? Judgment isn't ignored. It's just poured out on Christ instead of you. That is the heart of the gospel and the wonder of God's grace. 
So have you read the signs of the time, these signs of judgment? That's the first thing. And the second question is, will you respond to the signs of the time? How do we respond? How do we read these signs and then respond rightly? Well, this brings us to the final paragraph in our text today. And Jesus says in verse 58, He says, as you go with your accuser, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Jesus is saying this. If you're reading the signs of the time, the signs of judgment rightly, there's still time for you. Settle. Settle with your accuser. Now, when you hear that, settle with your accuser, where does your mind go? What do you think Jesus is talking about? I bet most of us read that and we think Jesus is saying, go make things right with other people. And there's a reason that we interpret that way. It actually comes from another part of the uh, Bible in Matthew 5 where Jesus essentially says that. If you're on your way to church and you realize you have a beef with someone, go and set things right with them. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Because all throughout Luke 12, you know who the accuser is? You know who the audience is? It's God. It's God himself. So Jesus is saying here, while there's still time, go and make things right with God. He's the accuser, right? He's the one who's bringing judgment. So if you read the signs right, then you will get right with God right now. Go get right with God. Settle out of court before it's the last day and it's too late. Okay, well, how do we do that? I think it's pretty clear that that's what Jesus is saying in his final paragraph, but what he doesn't do is tell us exactly how to do that. We actually have to go beyond this text to understand it a little bit more. Fortunately, both earlier in chapter 12 and later in chapter 13, Jesus tells us exactly how to do this, how we are to respond, how we are to make ourselves right with God. If you were here last week, you know that Jesus' whole point was be ready So it's this readiness, it's a readiness that leads you to serving others. Okay, that's how you make yourself right. If we look a little bit further back in chapter 12, we talked about this several weeks ago, it's that you would acknowledge the Son of God before other people. Acknowledge that Jesus is the substitute, is the Savior. That's how you settle with God out of court before it's too late. Or you look ahead in chapter 13, the very next paragraph. Jesus is going to say this, No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. How do you make yourself right with God? You repent. And then in the paragraph following that, he's going to talk about bearing fruit. Bear fruit in your life that is in accord with your repentance. So here, Jesus has given us this recipe of how we respond to the signs of the time, how we respond to the signs of judgment. We repent and we bear fruit and we stay ready, and we acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of sinners like us. If I had to summarize all of this, how we respond, it's simply to remember who God is. Remember the character of God. I was preparing this week, I came across something that said uh, that eight times in Scripture, When God is talked about as a judge, this holy judge coming with fire, coming with watery destruction on people, eight different times the same phrase is used. 
Here's what that phrase is. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger. And abounding in love. Right? There's a reality that God is judge. He is a consuming fire. But every time the scripture uh, tells us about that, it also wants to remind you of the flip side of that. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. When you think about God coming as judge against all that is wrong in you and in this world, also think about God as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love. You see, when we understand it that way, we begin to see that judgment of God is not opposed to the love of God. They're two sides of the same coin. His judgment is his love in action for us. Here's what I mean by that. A lot of times when we think of love, we think of love or God's mercy strictly as amnesty. Letting us all off the hook. His love is not amnesty. Because Jesus paid the price. Jesus took the judgment on him. God not for one minute went easy on sin. He judged it to its very end. It's simply the wonder of the cross that that judgment fell on Jesus, not on you. How will you respond to the signs of the time, to the signs of judgment? Every single one of us in this room will face the judgment of God against sin. And there are two ways that we will face it. We will either face it in Christ, knowing that he has borne that judgment for us, and completely taken it away. Or, on the last day, on the last day, we will face the righteous judgment of God ourselves. Those are the only options. But thanks be to God that through faith, faith, in this Lord who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, through faith, we can know his mercy. Have you seen the signs? I think today you have. The question then, before you and before all of us, is how will you respond? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we claim again this great reality that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Help us to see beyond the judgment of God, to see it poured out on Christ on the cross as our great hope and ours simply to receive by faith. And help us to respond with that faith and with repentance and fruitfulness in line with that faith. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.